Hello and welcome to another episode of The Genius Podcast. My name is Karen Doyle, founder of The Genius Project, an initiative for Catholic women designed to support and resource them towards growth in all areas of their life, spiritual, personal and professional. We seek to do this through the Catholic Women's Masterclass, our online events, and the Genius Podcast. Ladies, at the end of this week, we will be entering into Advent. Advent is that beautiful season of preparation where we prepare to receive Christ within us at Christmas. As part of this Advent preparation, I would love to invite you to join us for the Catholic Women's Advent Retreat coming up on the 11th of December Australian time and the evening of the 10th of December if you're in the USA. We've got some fabulous speakers who are going to really unpack this theme around what it means to prepare for him, to prepare for Christ. So ladies, check that out on the website. There is a link in the podcast notes for this retreat. We hope that you'll join us there. Our guest on this week's Genius Podcast is the fantastic Catherine Whitaker. Catherine and her husband live with their six children in Texas. She is a sixth generation Texan, so her twang is legit. She's the author of the book, Live Big, Love Bigger, which is a fabulous read. And in today's episode, we're going to deep dive into what it means to say yes. As she says, hell yes. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Catherine Whitaker. Uh, well, Catherine, welcome to the Genius Podcast. It's such a blessing to have you join us all the way from Texas in the USA, my husband's favorite state. So welcome. Thank you. You know, one of the big reasons I did it is because I just wanted to hear your accent. So, <laughs> Well, I tell you what, I want to hear yours. Out of all the US states, I love that Southern, uh, that Texas accent. It's fantastic. Thank so you. when you get talking, I'm sure our ladies are going to fall in love. <laughs> But um, look, Catherine, I met you, oh, well, I connected with you over Instagram um, more recently, but I've been following you for the past 12 months. And something that really just um, stood out for me and connected me to you was this beautiful gift of faith that you have. And as you share, that will just come through in your story. But you have, you're just really authentic. Like you're not afraid to be vulnerable. You're not afraid to admit the struggle that coexists with all the wonderful parts of life. And that, that really attracted me to you and, and following you. And then I asked, reached out and asked if you'd be a guest on the podcast. And we've had a bit of um, juggling, haven't we, trying to get the right time. But I mean, that's life, right? <laughs> it totally is. And uh, so it is a blessing. You also know Laura Rowland, who is a good friend of mine and who has been on this podcast. So it's a real joy and a gift to have you. So thank you for your time. So I think I'm you, deeply honored. Thank you. Yeah. Look, it's going to be a great conversation. But before we deep dive into that, would you just share a little bit with our listeners about who you are and I guess your story? You bet. So I grew up in Texas, so six generations back. So I'm really authentic. You really are. <laughs> and <laughs> Love. I really am. It's it, The twang is real. I'm um, married to my husband. We've been married 25 years and we have six kids. Our youngest is uh, seven and our oldest is 20. So we range from, you know, primary elementary school all the way up to college. And I'm actually a convert to Catholicism. So I converted about an hour before the rehearsal for our wedding. So my first communion was actually, yes, yes, That's I am. Fantastic. So my, uh, my wedding was also my first communion. So I like to load all my sacraments <laughs> all, all at the same time. And, um, and one of our children was born premature. He was kiddo number five and he completely rocked our world. 
And so I wrote a book about that, Live Big, Love Bigger, and really talked in that book a lot about living an authentic cross-centered life. So when you were talking about authenticity, I'm a really bad liar. Like you're just going to get me just fully unfiltered, Catherine. So um, I'm really bad at being other people, but I'm halfway decent at being myself. And so I think Luke's birth and, you know, just life in between then and now has helped me kind of form who God wants me to be. And I'm still learning along the way, but that's probably, and I love Dr. Pepper. I don't know if I have Australia, if y'all have that in Australia, but it's my favorite thing to drink besides sweet tea. Is it? I don't think it is. I don't think, what is it called? Dr. 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 Pepper. It's like I, a, it's a, like a, is it like, like a soda? I guess we call okay. them Cokes. Yeah. It's kind of yes. like, but better than Coke. <laughs> now I don't know. I've never seen it. Coke is, I have to admit, this is really, this is a shameful moment. It's my go-to because <laughs> I don't drink coffee and I don't drink tea. So if I'm tired or need a hit, it's, it's Coke. And I actually, no, I, I don't drink, I don't drink coffee either. Yeah. I'm not okay. a coffee drinker. Well, nope. There you go. I only started drinking Coke. My friend and I backpacked around the US in 1999 for six weeks. And that is the first time I had Coke. I was like 22. I'd never had it before. So that was the beginning. Ooh, of- we'll have to talk about that some other time. That sounds <laughs> fascinating. I love that. So, um, Catherine, share a little bit with me. Your son came along premature. And you said that really rocked your world, as, as we know it does. And whether women are experiencing that situation but or any other situation, we do face these times in our life, don't we, where things just happen to us, life happens, and it totally rips the rug out from under us. And we're really forced to reevaluate what we've built our life on and how we're actually doing life. So how did that experience for you sort of, I mean, obviously it ripped the rug out from under you, but what was that experience actually like for you as a mum? Like you had other children, your marriage. Well, um, I had given birth four times with zero problems. I was the textbook pregnancy And so when Luke came along, he was not textbook. He was anything but whatever the small percentage was that could go wrong or whatever, it all went wrong with him. I felt a little bit blindsided by Jesus, to be honest. And I was really frustrated because I was like, but Jesus, I did all these things. Did you not see my sticker chart? Like all the things (laughs) that I've done right. Don't those count for anything? And So it was difficult. I mean, I always, I grew up with a deep faith, even though it was as an evangelical Protestant, but I always loved Jesus. But this was the first time really, I mean, hard things had happened up until then, but this was the first time really that it was really put to the test. And I was grateful that we had spent all the years prior to that building community, Mm -hmm. building people that loved and supported us. So when it felt like we got slammed up against the wall, all these people showed up Mm -hmm. and they were Jesus to us. And I was like, I cannot walk away. from Mm -hmm. a Jesus that sends these amazing people in our lives um, to carry us when just in the moment that we need. And so every time that I would ask Jesus, please show me that you love us, show us that you haven't abandoned us. He would send me a religious sister. That's no, that's no joke. And it still happens today when I'm at my worst, he always sends me one. So I think I just learned that on the days that you can't do it, build the community. So on the days that you can't, they can, they can help. Mm, absolutely. I know we had a similar experience a couple of years ago. We just came back from the US from a speaking tour and my husband rolled an excavator down a very steep driveway and 
you know, bad injury to his head and broke both of his arms and a similar experience, just people coming out of the woodwork to support us. And it's quite a humbling experience, isn't it? When you are carried by, and it's firstly that admitting that you need to be carried and then allowing others to carry you through that difficult season. Did you have that? Well, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that you first, first, when something like that happens, my top A personality was like, no, 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 we got it. I can cook. I can still clean. Like we can still run all the kids. And then finally, at least in Luke's case, so he was born premature and spent time in the neonatal intensive care unit. Mm. I was completely tapped out. Like I literally couldn't do anything. And I finally, in a, and I, what I felt like was a moment of weakness, mm. reached out to a couple of people and said, Hey, can you help? And then I realized that is not weak to ask for help. That is actually what God asks us to do because we are not meant to carry our crosses alone. But you talk about a humbling, just yeah. it's, it's very humbling to know that you're going to have to ask for help in order to survive and and people gladly do it. I remember feeling guilty. And one of my friends looked at me and she said, Catherine, that's how people are loving you. Yeah. Don't deny them the opportunity to love you. And it changed my perspective. And so the, the benefit of receiving all that grace is that now I get to pay it forward and I get to share that with other families in many different circumstances, because yeah. I know what it's like to be in the gutter and I know what it's like to feel like you just can't do it another day. Amen. It's so true. I, I know recently we had um, a beautiful friend of ours. She lost her young son and he took his life and that was very unexpected. And she says, you know, we, we were all the Simons of Cyrene to her, just the women that came alongside her um, to help yeah. her carry that cross because there are simply some crosses in this life that are too hard to bear on our own and that we actually are not meant to, like you said, that's not God's plan for us to struggle and hustle alone. And, and ultimately that just leads to burnout, doesn't it? And exhaustion. Well, and I think that when you enter into somebody else's suffering, mm-hmm. so when you willingly walk into that, it changes you. We had a dear friend who lost their 16 month old in a tragic accident. And it was my first real up close experience with death where I willingly walked into the suffering Mm. and I was terrified because death really freaked me out, but I did it because I loved her and it completely transformed my faith life. Mm. And it certainly prepared me that experience. Our experience with a NICU baby prepared us when my father passed away in January. I mean, God allows you those experiences so that when you reach another hard place, you're like, but you know what, not only is it familiar, like you're like, I've been here before but you're also, I think, much more attuned to the way in which he's working in that moment. So you can see the grace amidst the suffering and you don't just see the suffering. With Luke, I only saw the suffering. It wasn't until later that I saw the grace. And as those other things happened, I could see Jesus. And so it's it's a difficult thing to describe that you carry at the same moment, deep suffering, but deep gratitude. And, um, and I think that can only be a God because there's no way that you can hold both of those and give them honor if he wasn't present. Absolutely, without a doubt. And I know my friend says the same. She said, you know, there's just this immense gratitude for all the graces that God brought into her life. And it's astounding that, you know, you can go through that immense level of suffering of losing a child, but be so grateful for the graces at the same time, which is exactly what you're saying. And and to actually witness that, to walk alongside that in a really intimate way, like it's such a gift. I find it, it still, you know, it makes me quite emotional because, it's yeah. such a privilege to enter into someone else's suffering on that level. 
it's very personal and I think it's incredibly sacred, isn't it, just to walk with people. And I Yeah, think- I mean, you can feel it. We yeah. call that um, thin places where um, there are some moments in time that you really do see the thin veil between heaven and earth. It's actually heaven is not nearly as far away as we think it is. And um, and you have to, I mean, I remember with my dad, there were a few moments that I had to say, deep breath, Catherine, because man, you were just right on the precipice of heaven. You know, like, don't, don't lose the sacredness of this moment. Don't be busy trying to interpret it or whatever, just be just like, let it, let it kind of wash over you. And then later, you know, you can microanalyze all of that, but boy, <laughs> there was just a lot of grace and just being present. It's, um, you know, we call it the, the, the holiness of the present moment. It really, um, we sort of discount it as it's not that important because we're trying to plan for the next thing or what's the, what's the next deal that you're going to do or whatever. And we forget that this moment, like this one that we have right here, this is it. It's what we got. Don't, don't forget those graces that God gives you. Absolutely. I know um, for myself, I was, my specialty in nursing was oncology and palliative care. Mm-hmm. And so that would, um, looking back on those years, nursing people who, and walking them home to heaven's door, honestly, like you said, you do feel that you're standing so close to heaven in those moments and they're incredibly sacred. And they've been some of the most sacred moments of my life, actually, having that privilege has been incredible. And I, I think there's two sides of the coin here. There's the receiving it, the yes in receiving that help from others, but then there's the yes of entering into that with other people. So this yes is something that I really would love to unpack and explore with you because you've written your book around this power of yes and what that actually means. But I'd love to explore those two sides of the coin of our yes as just our personal lives, stewarding our own lives, and then the yes of entering into someone else's suffering and the yes of responding to a need in another person's life or in the community. So I was just wondering whether you can share a little bit around your book and how that came about, because that's a big thing for you. It's kind of a signature message, isn't it? Well, Yes. (laughs) Hell yes is what I talk Hell about. Hell yes. It. Like making, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> making your yeses count for something. Um, mm. Yeah. So I wrote the book. So a small snippet of Luke's story is that um, on day nine, he contracted an illness called necrotizing intercolitis, which put him in the PDICU um, there in the NICU and um, he stopped breathing and we had to resuscitate him. And then he underwent emergency surgery where he had a two in 10 chance of survival. So that was a, a key part of the story that I think really set up my idea um, to maybe I should write this down. So I started writing it on a blog as you do and, you know, the early yes. mid 2000s. Yes. And, and I just got a lot of people that were contacting me like, oh, I've been there. And I started jotting some things down. And then I just shelved it for better lack of the word. I just put the book to the side. And then Jesus tapped on my heart when Luke was about 10 years old, nine years old, I guess. And, um, and I, wrote, I wrote a book, but it wasn't just about Luke and his journey in the NICU, but it was really about Luke's entry into our life and how it transformed our family, how it deepened our faith, but how it really transformed our family culture. And what I mean by that is, I don't know what it's like in Australia, but in the States, people have this desire to do all the things because absolutely you would not want to take away an opportunity for your kid. So you must say yes to all the things. And 
we all did that and our family did it. And finally we hit burnout and we canceled everything and we decided to get serious about what our yeses mean. So from a perspective of our family in that book, I really wanted people to dive deep into why are you saying yes to the things that you love? What do they mean and how are they leading you towards Jesus? And so that's really what the book is about. And that's why I wrote it because I'm very passionate about your yeses meaning something. Mm-hmm. I'm Southern and I get a little sassy and I'm like, your yes needs to mean something. Otherwise, you know, take it somewhere else. So I feel, I feel very strongly about that. Mm-hmm. And it's such an important message for women, particularly. I think it's important for all humans, but I think particularly for women, because so often we're saying yes to everything. We're the perpetual givers, we're the perpetual doers. But when we're saying yes to all the things, we often forget that in saying yes, we're also saying no. So when we're saying yes to being busy and the hustle, we're saying no to being still with the Lord. We're saying no to our families or our husbands or to something else that God actually might be calling us into. And so taking a pause and taking a breath just to still yourself, to ask the Lord, what is it you're calling me to? Like, where are you asking me to place my yes? Because it's not a thing that has to be automatic. And and that's another trap for women is the perpetual people pleasing, right? Well, and I think, and I think we're also, I think we're also afraid to say no, because if we say yes, then we're going to not miss out on the thing that that God's plan for us or what the next thing is. And we're afraid that if we say no, we're going to somehow derail God's plans for our lives. And we're going to miss this big thing or, oh, I'm, I could have done that, but I said no. And we forget that it's okay sometimes. I mean, I'm certainly in this season right now, which is why I believe so strongly about it. I've said no to so many things mm-hmm. and not because they're bad things, but because my bandwidth can't do it. Yeah. I can't serve my family. I can't be a good wife. Um, I can't go to Aggie football games. So that's like an American, like that's our college thing. So I can't do those things if I'm saying yes to other things that, that don't matter. And so there's the people pleasing part that, oh, I must say yes. And we forget to please, you know, God mm-hmm. with our own lives. Yes. And then we're afraid that we're going to miss out on stuff. And if, I, if there's any lesson that I can tell a woman, you're not going to miss out on, you're not going to mess up God's plans. You won't. Mm-mm. It's okay to say no. Mm-hmm. It really is. And I had a priest once say to me, it's better to err on the side of no than to say yes, because the no allows you just to press pause and to really go deeper and ask the Lord what he wants you to do and where he wants you to place that yes. So it's, I, I think. I, that- a, I, I love that. I, I had, priests are so wise. There's a priest that I was visiting with the other day and he said, if you look out in your garden, um, you know, like in March, you don't see any flowers, but he said, April and May, the flowers start to show up. And he said, but you didn't hear them grow. He said, but the growth happens in the silence. Mm -hmm. And he said, and the same is true in the spiritual life. You must give yourself stillness and quietness in order to grow in faith with Jesus. And that was for me, a very powerful thing to walk outside and see how things grow. And I never heard them, but I look at how beautiful they are. And I think if I'm going to allow nature to do that, then surely I have to allow my interior life to do the same. Mm, Absolutely. And I I think just coming back to one thing that just popped into my head that you'd said before was about, you know, that the experience of your child's premature birth and that in that moment, there's um, an invitation, isn't there, to either close down and become hard or to say yes and remain open to what the Lord's trying to do. And, you know, I do a lot of work on this area of the feminine genius and the receptivity of womanhood. And I touch on this area of just, I guess, the blessed mothers. Yes. 
that her yes to the, you know, to God meant salvation for all the world was made possible. And so for us, I think it's really important to realize that our yes has that power to bring salvation, whether it's to our own souls, whether it's to others in pressing pause and just taking a moment and and to really try and hear from God. I mean, Mother Teresa says that God doesn't speak in the hustle. He speaks in the stillness and the quiet of our heart. Absolutely. Well, and and I think for me, I didn't really like Mary that much. I mean, she was kind of nice. (laughs) And then, and then, and then I know that's terrible to say, and then Luke happened and I thought, well, maybe I should get to know her better. Thankfully, she and Jesus are both very patient with me. And it's been this slow evolution of growing into having a relationship with her, but also really contemplating what her yes really meant. And how do I, how do my little yeses add up to salvation? Like you said, for my own family and my own life, I may not give birth to a savior, but I hopefully am giving birth to a lot of really beautiful disciples and maybe a saint, you know, so that's our desire is that our yes, we just don't see it. I think that's the hard part is that the bricks that we lay feel very small and very insignificant. But then when you look at them, you're like, oh, we might've built the foundation there, but those fruits don't come until so much later. And many times the bricks that we lay, we don't see the fruits of those in our lifetime. Other people see those. And so I think that's our challenge Mm -hmm. is believing that they matter, believing that our yeses will add up to something big and beautiful in God's time, not necessarily ours. Yeah, I love that when you say they add up to something big and beautiful because they they have to, right? If we're saying yes to uh, the Lord, I'm counting on it. Oh, they have That's to. I'm banking, <laughs> banking my salvation on it. So, yes. Absolutely. And it's the breadcrumbs that lead us, you know, and often it's not this big Shazam moment where we're like, oh, that's God's will. Oh, yes, we say yes to that. It's just the small yeses. It's like yes to loving my kids. It's yes to serving my husband. It's yes to doing the dishes again. It's, you know, those small seemingly insignificant yeses are what actually lay the foundation. Yes. Amen. Hell yes. That's correct. Hell yes. Yes. I love that. Say it again with your accent. Um, hell yes. Yeah, I love that. It. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, look, I think it's, and when you say that, what I, I see in my mind is like these party poppers going off. It's like big yes, like not just like, so, you know, we're like the begrudging yes. Oh, my kids want me to cook breakfast in lockdown again, even though I've got like so much else to do. Like, can't you just make it yourself today? And yes, they- well, and I, ca- I call it the 3 a.m. test. So if it's okay. 3 a.m. and you're sitting in your closet and you're wishing that you'd said yes or you're wishing that you'd said no, that's your determining factor. Mm. So imagine yourself at 3 a.m. You said yes to this thing and you're up working on it or planning for it or stressing about it. Are you happy that you said yes? Do you love it that much? And if you don't, then it should be a no. Mm. Otherwise, it's a hell yes because you're all in. Yeah. So. That's my 3 a.m. test. I like it. So I ask like yourself that. that. Yeah. <laughs> 3 a.m., I will. But I, <laughs> I'm noticing in myself, and I've, I've had to battle this because we've been in lockdown now for many weeks, and, you know, and you're, you're homeschooling, you're trying to run a business that's been seriously impacted by these lockdowns as well and the lack of travel. So there's a lot of pressure. But it's even in those moments, the Lord is still asking for a gracious yes. So if I'm like, yes, I'll cook your breakfast. And it's like, there's this attitude of I have to do it. <laughs> you know, that comes through. But there's this, I mean, my husband is is amazing. He's down praying every morning, 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. And then he's up serving all day. And, you know, all the years he's often said, you know, I just, I'm not hearing from God. 
but you know he is a totally different man like these the faithfulness to prayer to adoration to rosary to just coming before god every single day without fail has meant that the fruits in his life are beautiful he's he often puts me to shame like he just pours out and he serves and he serves and I'm like oh I want to be like that but it's I'm married up I know I know (laughs) but it's it's I look at him and I'm like that has come from this the quiet the hidden yeses that he has made every single day even in the midst of difficulty or when life was fully pressured or he didn't feel like doing it those yeses have meant that the Holy Spirit is living in him has changed him. So for me, that for me, that's inspiring. You know, each day I'm like trying to fight to get to prayer with the kids and to have a gracious yes. <laughs> well, and to recognize I have a husband like that too, who's incredibly faithful. But we also have to remember that I was I just gave a talk on this earlier this week that you have to know what your mission is and what your season is. And our seasons change. And it doesn't necessarily mean that our missions change, but it the way that we practice and deliver those missions looks different based on what our seasons are. And so what works for one family or one mom or one woman may not work for you. And it doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong. It just means that you're being present to the season in which God has placed you. And your mission looks different than hers because you are a unique individual that God has created with different skills and abilities. And so that is a difficult thing sometimes to swallow, to be like, but gosh, dang it, she does it the way I want to do it. Why can't I do it that way? So uh, I think it was Father Stan Fortuna, who's a CFR priest in uh, the Bronx in New York, said, uh, God gives us all gifts. The problem is we don't like the gifts that God gives us. Mm-hmm. And so it's not the gift that he gives you. It's how you use the gift and how gracious you are for receiving the gift. Amen. So I, that's, I always think of him. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> when I'm thinking about how do I want to use my gifts, and I'm like, be grateful for this gift in this season. What does he need you to do with it right now? And that's the constant reminder to yeah. myself. I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think as women, we often fall into that comparison trap and that's a real stronghold and gateway for the enemy because when the enemy can get you to doubt your worthiness and doubt your gift and doubt God's plan and purpose, well, he he gets a real hold on our hearts. And as women, I think we, we fall into it often without realising and then all of a sudden we're cooperating with the enemy in our life when we start to compare and we get agitated and we're trying to do what she's doing and rather than just running the life, you know, that we've got in our lane and, and dancing the song that he's placed within us. You know, that's it's just so important. I see it time and time again and ministries and, and the works never flourish under that spirit. The ministries and the, the women that I see flourishing are the women who have their eyes focused on Christ. And, yes, there's other women doing things around them, but I truly believe when we actually receive like you said, the gift and that unique gift of God within us because he's, he's created all the billions of people on the earth with their own unique mission and the gifts to fulfil that mission. So we just need to get good at learning what they are and then how we're being called to activate and give them in service. And then when we actually reach that place, we're truly able to champion the unique gifts in others. I think it's it Yeah, just- I mean, I, I- I think a couple of things on that. I mean, certainly, I mean, Jesus had 12 disciples. They were not all the same. Mm-hmm. You know, Peter and Paul may have been buddies, but they were not the same. Mm-hmm. So, um, but they all had the same mission, but it, it was lived out differently. Mm-hmm. And it's okay if someone, uh, I have a great friend and we talk about that we're running parallel. We may not be running the same race, but we're running parallel. And so 
trust that there are people that you can speak to and that will listen to you and be like, yes, I hear what you're saying, but your voice isn't what everybody else hears. So thank God you have a sister in Christ who has a voice and has a mission that the person that you can't reach, she can. And I think when you're comfortable with your lane, what Jesus is asking of you, when you see someone flourishing and doing good things, instead of being like, oh, why can't I do that? Why is that not mine? You actually look at her and you're like, isn't that awesome? Like, look at what she's doing. And I think that is a constant uh, communication and relationship with Christ and knowing exactly what he's placed on you in that season so that you can be truly grateful and gracious and supportive of the women who are doing other work that you're not able to do. It's not a, like the whole destination is here is hopefully we're all going to make it to the gates of heaven. Mm -hmm. So why do we care (laughs) in which lane, in which lane you arrive? You know, all lanes lead to heaven. So let's just get everybody there. So that just takes time. It takes time to know who you are and it takes uh, life experience and surrounding yourself, who a good friend of mine always says, surrounding yourself with women who are spiritually grown, who lead you towards Jesus and not the confessional. Mm. Amen. I love that. That's a great quote. That's good stuff. Well, I know. I wish I could take that on, credit for we'll it. We'll have to put that on Instagram, Catherine Whitaker. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so, so, so true. So, look, I think one of those barriers that we're talking about to our yes is we compare our yes and what we think we should be, all the shoulds, could have, woulds. So, I'm wondering yeah. if you can give some women, and I don't know if you explore this in your book, it's definitely something I've got to order, but. Um, I guess some practical tools to saying yes, how they that you know how they can make their yes count, because so often we can hear things, and there are some people who are analytical, and they actually need to be told and shown how do I do it, you know. And I think that was one of the beautiful things John Paul II did for us was he he talked about like our experience of life, but not just from a purely theological point of view. He wanted to look at the experience. How do we actually get in this car and drive it? What's it like? And so how do women do this? Because I know so many women who struggle with this idea of yes for whatever reason, whether it's because they're comparing, because they feel like they'll miss out, because they feel like they should. They're in that trap of people-pleasing, perfectionism, all of those things. So I guess my question is what are some of the practical ways in which women can make their yes count? How can they really fine-tune that in their own life? Well, I'd say the first thing is that I would tell them that they're worthy of their yes. So we sometimes think that our yes means that we must be perfect right out of the gate. Like if Jesus wants me to do this, then I must be amazing at it. Well, sometimes you're going to be worse at it before you're better at it. But if it brings you joy, um, your yes is worthy. You don't have to be the expert. So don't be afraid of that yes. You know, a few tools that we've used in our home with our children and with us personally, uh, there's a, a test called the Clifton Strengths Finder. So it's a series of questions that you answer and it kind of gives you what are your top five strengths and what it encourages you to do instead of trying to learn how to be better at the things that you're not gifted with or that you're not naturally inclined to, instead focus on the gifts that God has given you. And then in what way can you use those in the church? There's a a companion book to that, and I forget the name, but there's a Catholic companion to that. So like if communication is your number one strength, how can you use that to benefit the church, which ultimately benefits your family? Mm -hmm. So that's been a really great tool for our family to know 
in what ways are we gifted and how can we bless the world with that? And then also recognizing that your season plays a massive role in what you can do. So maybe if you're a gift of communication and you have a bunch of little babies running around, well, maybe it's just like sending thank you notes or encouraging notes to people in your life, right? And then as you get in a different season and you have more time, maybe that looks like then you serve the church. I had a friend tell me one time, she said, Catherine, if you're always having babysitters come to your house to watch your kids so that you can minister at the church, then you're probably too involved. <laughs> you know, so remember sometimes, sometimes your biggest ministry is your family, you know, so do you say no to the thing so that you can say yes to that? Um, a few of the things that we've done with our kids and, and in our own marriage is say like, what, what brings you joy? We, we have a, this thing at the end of the year, we sit down, we call it like our dream date. Like how did the year go and these different categories and what do we hope for it to be in the following year? And then we started doing that with our kids, mm-hmm. you know, because sometimes I think we get on the track of the things that we must do and we forget to ask our kids, Hey, do you like that? Do yes. you enjoy that? And so we started having a dialogue with our kids, usually about the time they turn 10, uh, because I think before then there's a lot of direction from mom and dad, but as they start to grow into middle school, you know, mm. I don't know how the schools translate in Australia, but about 10 or so, they really kind of start to develop their own personality. So I think understanding what brings your kids joy and in what ways does it make sense for your family to do that? In our house on Sunday nights, we have what we call family meetings. And so everybody sits down on Sunday night, we talk about what's on the calendar. And that also means that everybody learns in what ways they're going to be sacrificing for the other people in the household so that they can do things that they love and vice versa. So it's easier to sacrifice when, you know, like this big dance performance at school on Thursday is a really big deal to your sister. And then you turn around and say, well, this baseball game or whatever is a really big deal for my brother. And so then you start to be less frustrated with the ways in which you have to sacrifice. And instead you're happier about supporting people that you love. So those are a few things that we've done, I think, to instill in our kids that your choices have consequences, but the consequences sometimes can teach you really beautiful lessons. So don't be afraid, think that you're unworthy um, and find ways in which you can serve your family first and then how that means that you serve the church and the greater society as a whole. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's what you wanted, but those uh, are a few things great. that we do in our house that I think have, that have been really helpful for us. I love it. And I love the roundtable discussion. I know when we've done that with our kids, they really like it. They like the experience of feeling hurt and that they are important and valued. I know John Gottman, he's my favourite uh, marriage oh, educator, is fantastic. And Excellent. he calls it in marriage the state of the union meeting, that, you know, once a week a couple should be coming together and having a state of the union meeting where they're actually just tabling, you know, what, what is your complaint? Because if we don't touch base and communicate, then we get into criticism. But behind every criticism is a complaint. And so it's stepping back and trying to hear that in a healthy environment. So I love that you do that with your kids. And you mentioned sometimes, the- sometimes we'll throw in budget. <laughs> That's when it really gets fun is when we start talking about money, yeah. Oh, it's good. And it's it's so important because we're sort of educating from a young age around this emotional literacy and emotional intelligence and giving kids skills because so many adults don't have those tools, do they, to have the conversations, to understand what their needs are. So I I think that's beautiful advice. The other thing you touched on was the Clifton strengths. And I think, I mean, in our masterclass for Catholic women, we take women through this, really helping them understand what their unique gifts are, like what is their unique motivational design and understanding that because we can think we know what our gifts are, but often, and it's not to box us, these assessments, but they actually are really insightful. And I find 
the times in my life where I've done those, they're like these great big aha moments. It's like, oh, I've just been introduced to myself. <laughs> like now my life <laughs> makes super sense. nice to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like now I understand why I do the things I do. But I think um, Burgess in his book, Unrepeatable, talks about these um, achievement stories. And he said, like, if we're confused about what our gifts are or where we're being called to serve, Asking somebody, what is a time in your life, like describe a time in your life where you did something really well and it brought you joy and you really enjoyed it. And those are clues to talent. They're clues to your gifts and they're clues to your vocation, your individual vocation. Because we know, you know, we have our universal vocation to love as God loves. Our primary vocation is how we live that out, whether that's religious life or through marriage, a single life. And then we all have an individual vocation and every single one of us is called to, I guess, bring to birth, bring to life something that's unique. And I think when we're talking about the power of yes, saying yes to that, that's a magical yes. Like that yes actually brings you life, doesn't it? When you finally tap into your gifts and where you're called to serve. Well, and what I what I loved about that, doing it with our family, my husband even did it at his office, so he works for the Catholic Church, is that they list their five strengths outside their door. So it has their name and then it has their top oh, five really? strengths. What I love, yeah. Oh, yeah, they're That's serious. Awesome. <laughs> but what I love about it is that you stop expecting people to have the same gifts as you do. So like if communication is my number one strength, but that's not every person in my life's number one strength. But instead of me being frustrated with like, why isn't our youth minister or why isn't my you know principal or why why are they just why are they not better communicators but when you know what their strengths are and you see other ways in which they gift the church then you actually are less frustrated that they don't carry the same strengths that you do because you see them practicing their other strengths in other ways that you can't do and it makes you uniquely grateful for their presence because of the ways in which they bless the world in which you're unable to do and vice versa so I found it to not only be enlightening for my own personal self, but also the ways in which I interact with other people. And I'm not saying that you need to go around and like pass out the test to all your friends and be like, take this so I know how to interpret you. But you start to be more attuned after taking it and practicing that you get a chance to see. And I've often gone up to people and be like, I don't know if you've taken this test, but I think this is your gift. (laughs) And um, there's also the St. Catherine of Siena Institute, which Mm. helps people discover what their charisms are, which I love. Mm. And I think they have an online component now to that. They used to do those in person in parishes. But again, knowing your gifts and knowing your charisms, which are wholly given by the Holy Spirit and only meant to do good for the church. Those two things together can be so fruitful for your spiritual life Mm -hmm. and really help you distill what matters and what doesn't matter, which leads you to your yeses and your noes. Absolutely. And then you can feel sorry, that felt like a little TED talk. Sorry, I, I love it. No, please, I love it. This is what <laughs> it's great because you're hitting the nail on the head here. I think so many people compare or they don't feel satisfied. They get overwhelmed and depleted and exhausted because they're actually not operating in the place that they should. And and the place that they're actually being called to. So I think for a lot of women, like they're saying yes to all the things, but they're not actually saying yes to the things that God is calling them to uniquely. And that's where we do get burnt out. Like I know in my life, I, I love design, like, and I love creating things. Like I'm a very creative person, but you put me in front of the numbers and the books. I'm like, oh, 
I just my brain freezes and locks up and it's hard work. Oh my gosh. So I think understanding our gifts is really important. And I I do believe that God has given us in recent times really good tools to help equip us to understand those. And then when we understand those, we actually also have to take that one step further and ask where are we being called to serve? How is God wanting us to activate those gifts in service? Because we don't just use them for our own glory or our own satisfaction, but they're ultimately designed to give him praise and to give him glory. So where is it we're being called to? And I think that alone has the power to really shake up and define our yes. When people see you say yes to something and you're joyful about it, they see Jesus in you because you're acting um, out of love for him. So when you say yes to something and you really mean it and you know, sometimes we have to say yes to things that are mundane. Like I have to clean the toilets. I really hate it. And it's not really a hell yes, but I do it because it needs to be done. But, you know, on a bigger level, when you say yes to those things, but even when you say yes to the mundane things in your home, I don't want my kids to look at me and be like, oh, mom was mad all the time because she had to clean the toilets. I mean, there's an opportunity to change your attitude because I want my kids to know that building a home is worthy. Mm-hmm. Keeping, you know, things neat and tidy, at least in our house, that's a worthy endeavor. And so your yeses are not always glamorous, but they do allow you, I think, to find your joy and other people. I mean, I think as, as human beings, we are inherently drawn to people who are joyful because not because they are joyful and not because they are amazing, but because we see Jesus in them. Yeah. And that I think is the ultimate goal is being so grateful for the gift, practicing the gift with joy. And they're in turn allowing someone to see Jesus so that they can hopefully spend eternity in heaven with them. That's the end goal. It's not being the best, you know, broadcast journalism major or being the best, you know, football player, whatever it is. Like there should be intention in the yes so that people can at least see Jesus at the end of the day. So I think that's where we have to keep our perspective. And boy, does that take a lot of discipline (laughs) and a lot of time. But slowly, I think we can all eventually get there. I really do believe that. Absolutely. And it's just turning up each day to prayer. I I think third day, I think the band had this quote at the start of one of their songs that said the greatest cause of atheism is the in the world is Christians who profess they're Christians with their lips, but they don't show it with their faces. So they're walking around all gloomy and grumpy (laughs) and people are turned off by that. But I think, you know, that source of joy, I know a woman, I've shared this on the podcast, her husband died and she had six children and she just had this joy like during his final days. And people were like, what's going on? And she just kept saying in her head, she would just keep saying, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And eventually like it it actually became a part of her. It wasn't just something she said. It actually was infused into her being and it transformed her whole experience. So yeah, I think yeah, I'm betting that that joy was hard one for her too. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. Yeah, it's just I, I think going forward, like for women too, just some final thoughts for the women around this idea of hell yes. <laughs> I'm wondering if you've got any other just extracts from your book that you can share some key ideas to really give them some anchors, I guess, to take away because I think this conversation is immensely not just powerful but crucial, that it's not just a conversation that women hear but from this point they actually take what they've heard and then anchor it into their own life, that it actually becomes something that they start to live. 
So I'm just wondering if you've got any final pearls there, Catherine, from your book um, that women can use as anchors. Because they say we only remember 10% of a conversation or a speaker's presentation, which is deflating for you and I because we often put a lot into our presentations. But that 10% that they do remember, what are some key words or drivers that they can use as anchors? That is a really hard question. <laughs> you know, I would, I would say this. I think it's that your yeses can define your family culture. And your family culture is where you build disciples. Mm. And so for us, our family culture, it was important for us to do things together as a family, to build memories that only we would have so that my children would be inspired to do the same thing with other people in their lives who they were close to. And so we've done that through um, traveling to national parks, which is a big thing in our family. And we also did a crazy thing. And I don't know if this will translate as well in Australia, if it does here in Texas, but uh, barbecue is a big thing in texas and so our magazine here in the state of texas named the top 50 places in the state of texas so to give you an idea we drove over 2,000 miles over a 10-month period to take all of all of our kids to all 50 of these places so we could eat this barbecue yes we really did that we call it our barbecue pilgrimage um, because we love as a family we love to eat really good food we also love to do things together as a family um, and we love to do things that I don't know that maybe not everybody else does that are really bonding for us that people like us and they're like, you're crazy. I'm like, I know, but the food was really good. It's good. <laughs> so I, I think, I think that when you can focus on what's most important for your family and then build your yeses around how you want to build your family culture, because it's a unique gift that God gives us are our families mm-hmm. and how we practice our faith looks different from family to family. So figure out how God is asking you to practice your faith in your family and build your culture around that. And then add in the activities that support that culture, because eventually it's going to lead you to heaven. Mm -hmm. So for us, those things were important in building our family culture. And they were a little crazy and full of a lot of barbecue and good, you know, good sides and good Dr. Pepper. But boy, did we build some fabulous memories for our kids. And that happened six years ago and the kids the the new list is getting ready to come out and everyone's asking are you doing it again so the jury's still out on that but but what a what a great culture that we started to build and so i always remind people it's not too late to start building your family culture um sorry about that it's not too late to build your family culture it um it's okay. Like you're not behind the eight ball. Like it's okay to do something different this year. So hopefully people are inspired to do something to build their family culture. And they're not, um, I guess they're not held back about what they think might be imperfect, mm-hmm. um, or unworthy, but yet they dive in anyway, because it's what Jesus is asking them to do. And it may not be perfect the first time. It's all right. You'll figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. I I love that. And I think, you know, we have so many women listening to this podcast who are married and then there are some who are single or in a different season. So the same rules apply, isn't it? It's just how can you build a culture in your life that's edifying, that has, I guess, a spirit of adventure that is a yes to yourself, your salvation and the salvation of those who are coming with you on the journey. Well, and I would hope families have people in their life who are single. Mm. For the same reason that I would say, I hope people who are single have people in their lives who are married Mm. for the same reason that we invite priests to our dinner table. 
um, because it's important for them to see family life and it's important for us to see religious life. Mm-hmm. So those those vocations are meant to be interspersed among one another. They're all connected. Mm-hmm. So I think we do ourselves a disservice by not connecting all of those dots together. And uh, yeah, just because you're single doesn't mean that you're off the hook, that you don't have to build a family culture. You've got a beautiful culture that you need to build within your own community. So there's no easy vocation. No, there's <laughs> it doesn't not exist. <laughs> they're all there. If they, if there was one, we'd all be doing it. That's <laughs> so. right. And I love, you know, the definition of that word vocation is to draw out or to call forth. And I think we have to remember that like there's a missionary element to our vocation and that orients all of our choices, our yeses and our noes. Yeah. yeah. Amen. Oh, Catherine, thank you. That's a great conversation. I'm going upstairs to rebuild oh, my family oh. culture. In the middle of lockdown. <laughs> You've had a lot of time to plan a family culture, I have no doubt. I, I tell you what, though, I, oh. do, I do not understand, but we are tighter than ever. We feel busier than ever. I'm like, what is that? <laughs> but uh, anyway, we're getting there slowly, slowly. <laughs> you learn, but I think you, uh, we had a priest remind us one time, you know, you have to bloom where you're planted. So, um, there will never be a perfect season and there will never be a perfect circumstance. So you have to look at the graces that you have in this moment and, and, and really strive for the joy. And there are some moments you have to look real hard for that joy. And I would think that most of us during a global pandemic have been looking real hard Mm -hmm. for the joy, but I think along the way, God's planting some seeds of grace and um, he's asking us to be present to that so that we can be better disciples for him. So hopefully Um, As people are trying to figure out what their family culture looks like, um, they're inspired by the people that God surrounded them with to do their own unique vocation and live it out with a lot of joy. Ladies, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Catherine Whitaker. If you'd like to check out her blog or her book, please head to catherinewhitaker.net. I'll leave the link to her website in the show notes. I'd also really love to encourage you and invite you to join us for our Advent retreat here at The Genius Project. We're going to be gathering online for a virtual retreat where we have some beautiful speakers who are just going to pour into you and help you to prepare for Christmas so that you can arrive at Christmas Day spiritually, emotionally, physically prepared to receive Christ in a new and a deeper way. Head on over to the website to register www.geniusproject.co and check out the events page. We look forward to seeing you there. Until next week, ladies, have a beautiful week and God bless you.